And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Seventy-six days without an incident, ladies and gentlemen, here at the bunker. Very happy about that. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being here. Jason Hunt, firmly ensconced behind microphone number three, here deep beneath world headquarters at scififorme.com. Hello, Mazers in the chat. No, somebody clearing their throat is not part of the intro. I don't know. That was probably me. <coughs> because we have a rant incoming today. A little good news. I did finally get the light bulbs that I need to uh, get the studio back up to snuff. So, uh, good morning, Multiverse. will probably be a little bit more back to normal this Saturday. So there's that. Mazerus is in the chat. Others can participate there. If you are here with us live, we are on Facebook, YouTube, and Odyssey. And there are chats and comment widgets on all of those channels. If you're not here live, if you're in replay, you can still leave a comment. You can always send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. We're on all the socials. We've got a newsletter. You want to sign up for that? We got a party like it's 1979. Lines at the gas station. Inflation higher than expected. Unemployment up. But hey, those mean tweets are gone, baby, so we're in tall cotton now. All right, a couple of uh, quick things here. First of all, I want to uh, offer congratulations to the Go-Go's for being included now in the Rock Hall of Fame Class of 2021. We did an interview with Jane Weedlin of the Go-Go's about uh, a project that she did with uh, Bill Morrison. It was, a, it was a comic book from way, way, way back in the day. I think we talked to her. We talked to them. I think in in 2012. So I'm going to put that in the chat, so y'all can see that. And congratulations also to Leanne Kresick, who is the creator of the Webtoon Let's Play. We interviewed her uh, back in September, and Let's Play is getting a TV adaptation reported by Forbes this week. A lot of people wondering where season two is on Webtoons. Apparently there are some legal wranglings and such going on behind the scenes, but it looks like there's some moving forward on that. So there's the interview link for that. And a quick, uh, a quick PSA for those of you who are 
interested in indie comics, uh, Alex uh, Benny, uh doing the uh, Columns of Creation uh, Indiegogo, we interview, we've interviewed him a couple of times. He is now reporting apparently there is a bootleg Columns of Creation trying to raise money over on Indiegogo, going uh, somebody by the name of Chad Lucas trying to glom on to that. Um, it looks like somebody is also trying to do a, a bootleg Shadows of the Kraken uh, Vinnie Tartamella's project. So be on the lookout. If you are going to be backing a project, if you're interested in backing any kind of independent project, whether it's a comic book or a book or a movie or whatever, make sure that you're looking at the right one. Make sure you're looking at the one that is actually the people what are making the thing. So watch out for uh, imitators and imposters. Speaking of which, you guys see this news? This is a variety. Millie Vanilli's story is going to be told in the documentary. Can't wait to see that. All right. Let's set the Wayback Machine for 1979. Now, I, I have... I have a destination with this. I am going somewhere with this. So stick with me. Indulge me for just a moment. Those of you who are listening on uh, podcast players, or if you prefer podcast players, we've got several there that you can see there. Uh, Stitcher, Amazon, iHeart, Pocket Cast, Spotify. Uh, we got a, a comment earlier this week from a from a gentleman who added us to the Spotify his Spotify playlist. So we're very glad to hear that. Always happy to have new listeners and new regular listeners or viewers, as the case may be. Uh, welcome, Stephanie and Joachim in the chat. All right, uh, <laughs> Mazers. Says it's hell getting old. Oh, I feel you, I feel you. And I and, and without even even without any context. I mean, you're talking about getting some shots and, and dealing with the eye problem, and and I can I can certainly sympathize, just in general. But I want to take I want to set the wayback machine. I want to go back here to 1979, and. Just a real quick snapshot. Just for those who were not here, especially, unemployment was between 5.7 and 5.9%. OPEC oil prices were going up. Inflation was up. The gross national product was at 0.8%, which was about 2.2% below forecast. So the economy was not doing well. Wholesale prices were up 12.5%. Consumer prices were up 8%. And the economy survived in spite of all of that going on. And then you had, on top of that, the Iranian Revolution, the ouster of the Shah of Iran. You had the energy crisis. We had gas shortages. Price of oil nearly doubled. 
And in the U.S., that was complicated by the fact that we had price controls in place, inventory regulation. There were all sorts of different factors. Now, th- there, this, is, this is not the full scope and the full extent of an examination of the, of the, of the latter years of the 70s, the Carter stuff. I mean, he had his crisis in confidence speech that year. And then we had 444 days of American citizens being held hostage in Tehran. 1979 was not a good year in terms of the world and the stability of the world. The United States economy was not doing well. And now you look at today. You look at now. Inflation up 6.2%. Higher than expected. My question is, higher than expected by whom? Because there were a lot of people that were predicting this. We saw this coming. And then you have the crack in the Hernando de Soto Bridge in Memphis, which has shut down shipping on I-40, I believe. That disrupts the supply chain, as does the cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline. They just recently opened up after paying their $5 million ransom to the Russians. What happens to all of that info they got hacked? You've got refugees at the border, and now we're hearing that there's a priority being paid to those who might be transgender refugees. Why does that make a difference? Businesses are dying because nobody wants to go back to work. They're being paid to stay home and they're being told to shelter in their homes, cower in the corner. I've been in the media for almost 33 years. I know how the game is played. I know that there are certain segments of the media, not all of them, but there are certain segments of the media that play to our fears and paranoia because that's what sells. Back during the holidays, we were encouraged to report our neighbors. What kind of a society are we trying to develop here? What kind of people do we really want to be with all of this? In Canada, they're being arrested for having church services. All this bad news. All this bad news. What goes around comes around. All of this has happened before and will happen again. We've heard that before on Battlestar Galactica, right? And now, again, unrest to be charitable. Unrest in the Middle East. We're on the brink of war in the Middle East, after all of these peace accords, peace treaties negotiated in the last few years, I guess those are dead, gone, fallen by the wayside. I, they, they don't matter anymore, I guess. In the midst of this cultural turmoil, now we have people like Roger Daltrey of The Who. We have Johnny Rotten of The Sex Pistols, Billy Crystal. Even Donald Glover has come out and spoken about the cancel culture and how people are so afraid 
of doing anything to upset the balance. Nobody can take chances anymore because there are 12 angry, emotionally constipated teenagers on Twitter who are ready to call down the mob upon your head. And our entertainment complex is no longer the escape, the relief valve that we need from all of this bad news. I told you I was going somewhere with this. It's hard to escape reality when our entertainment is infected by reality, the politics of the day. Mazars, you're right. Don't even call it cancel culture anymore. It's paranoia culture. The cancel cult. Hello, Cam. 1138. Good to see you here in the chat as well. Entertainment is supposed to be about escape. Escapism. We should be able to set aside our concerns, our worries, our troubles by picking up a good book, going to the movies, spending time with our, 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 our friends and our family, watching a good TV program, listening to music, going to a concert or a ballet, if that's what you're into, going to the art museum. We should be able to do these things to escape that which comes slamming into our eyes and ears from all over in the media, whether it's the news media or YouTube or our late-night talk shows now. Late-night talk shows, they used to be funny. They used to feature comedy. And that comedy used to take pot shots at all sides. Now, not so much. And now you have the dogpiling, the attacks being leveled against Gal Gadot for her prayer for peace in her home. Israel getting bombed by the Palestinians, by Hamas. And just a, just a side note here, just a little bit of a history lesson here for those who really don't understand. And I, haven't, I have not wrapped my head around it totally either. And I'm sure that there are other people around, there, uh, around who think they know more than I do who will very much like to explain to me that they know more than I do. But there has never been a Palestine that region has been known as Palestine, but you go back thousands, thousands, thousands of years. There's never been a Palestine. The Palestinians are the descendants of the Philistines. And the enmity between the Palestinians and the Israelis now dates all the way back to the enmity between the Philistines and the Jews of Israel back in the Old Testament days. There will never be peace between these two groups. Not really. 
and all of the different efforts to, to wage peace in the region, the Palestinians are not going to accept because they are engaged in a jihad to eliminate Israel, wipe it off the face of the planet. That's their goal because they think they have a claim to the land, not the Israelis. Now, whatever your politics might be, those are your politics. I'm not going to tell you one way or the other what you should think or should not think or believe or not believe. But when Gal Gadot posts on her social media a prayer for peace for both sides to survive this encounter and to come to some sort of peaceful resolution and for the innocents to stop dying. And when the brigade comes after her for being a propagandist for the Zionist nation, there's something a little bit wrong about that. Why... Why is it a problem to say you want peace? And, you know, they are quick to point out, well, she served in the military. Everybody served in the military in Israel. It's mandatory, two-year service. That's not anything new. And it's not unusual for her to have served in the military because everybody does. There's nothing special about her because she served. You go back to the entertainment of 1979. You take, you take us back to what was out there. In 1979, there were a lot of films, films that hit, hit theaters. I didn't realize that a lot of these were 1979. The movie 10 from Blake Edwards, 1941 from Spielberg, Alien, Ridley Scott's Alien, the Amityville Horror, the Apple Dumpling Gang was in 1979. There's a political screed if I ever heard one. Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, The Black Hole, the Black Stallion, Chomps. How many of you remember Chomps? Remember that movie? The China Syndrome, Concord, Airport 79, Dracula with Frank Langella, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. I haven't heard of that. I haven't thought about that one in a long time. Going in Style with George Burns, Art Carney. The Jerk, Just You and Me, Kid, with George Burns and Brooke Shield. Kramer versus Kramer was 1979. Love at First Bite with George Hamilton. Moonraker, Meteor, More American Graffiti. How many of these do you remember being political? Star Trek The Motion Picture was 1979. Richard Pryor, Live in Concert, that was would never happen now. Because it has become such 
a thing. Politics has infected everything. You go back and you look at the original Star Wars trilogy, the first Star Wars movie, it was obvious to anybody who was paying attention that the Empire stood in for Nazi Germany. But then, but then you have interviews with George Lucas saying that that's not necessarily the case. Now, on the surface, Star Wars is a serial, is a Saturday morning serial cartoon movie type action adventure aimed at 12-year-olds. George Lucas has said it was written for 12-year-olds. But the subtext, you're rebels against the Empire. A lot of people saw that as freedom fighters against the Goose Steppers. Not so, says George Lucas. George Lucas, you remember... In the 1970s, we were just coming out of Vietnam and looked at through a certain lens, the rebellion can be a metaphor for the Viet Cong and the empire, the metaphor for the United States. It all depends on your point of view, doesn't it? But when you watch the movie, you don't get that overt message, U.S. bad, evil, tyrannical. You don't get that message. You watch Star Wars, and it's a swashbuckling romp. It is an action adventure about a hero and a damsel in distress and a boo-hiss villain. Somebody that you feel comfortable not liking. We're, it's okay to not like Darth Vader. It's okay to want Darth Vader to be defeated because he's the bad guy. He's the villain. He is so obviously the villain. And it's okay to boo and hiss the villain in Star Wars. Now, not so much. Star Trek was full of subtext. A lot of people sit there and say, well, Star Trek's always been political. Not the same way. Star Trek has always addressed social issues and questions of what's right and wrong, but not from a political ideology in terms of party. Racism is wrong whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or Green Party or left, right, white, black, doesn't matter. Racism is wrong. That's one of the reasons why critical race theory is such an evil thing. Because it is a racist, propagandist program. And it's good that Disney has come around and decided, you know what, maybe we're not going to do that. More on that in a minute. Cam1138, remember when people could relate to stories as they chose instead of being spoon-fed mean? Joachim says, I was born in 1973 and I like to make space Lego with Knight's Lego and I wonder what inspired that. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Stephanie, Apocalypse Now did come out in 1979 and that was probably one of the few overt stories addressing Vietnam. But even then, it was focused. It was basically Heart of Darkness. So it doesn't necessarily... 
I would hesitate to say that Apocalypse Now is overtly about the Vietnam War. I think it, I think it's, it, it is metaphorical in a, in a certain sense. There is allegory there. But yes, Apocalypse Now came out in 1979. <laughs> Mazers has some things to say about Marlon Brando. Uh, Brando's character may have been a psychopath. I'm I'm not sure that that Brand Brando had <sighs> Marlon Brando was eccentric. Let's say, shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Uh, no, I, yeah, he was, he was, a, he was a terrific actor. I think sometimes some of these terrific actors sometimes buy into their own press. Uh, some of the stories that we got out of the, uh, oh, the Island of Dr. Moreau adaptation that, uh, he was in with Val Kilmer, those are curry your toes and, and make you lose some sleep. Alien came out in 1979. It's a haunted house in space. There's nothing political about it unless you read into it a critique and an indictment of the military-industrial complex with the corporation wanting to weaponize this alien xenomorph thing at the cost of the employees of the company. But again, that subtext, it's there if you choose to see it. Cam has it right. We want to interpret our stories. We want to watch our stories and we want to get out of it what we want to get out of it. Not necessarily what the filmmakers want us to get out of it. I remember having a discussion in my junior high, not junior high, my junior year in high school, my English class. We were talking about various different stories. I don't even remember which, which particular story we were talking about. And I will never forget my instructor, Dr. Nancy Myers, uh, different from the screenwriter, Dr. Myers says sometimes stories don't mean anything. And this particular story, I really wish that I could remember which story we were talking about. But the author of this, of this story, he kept getting asked, what did you mean by it? What did you mean? He says, I didn't mean anything. It's a story. I told a story. If there's any meaning to it, that comes from you. I don't, I don't have any intent here. Sometimes a story is just a story, and we read into those things that which we want to get out of it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what that story means. So it can be interpreted wrong. It can be misinterpreted. It can be alternately interpreted other than what the author intends. You look at Star Wars. If George Lucas is making Star Wars as a Vietnam allegory and everybody else is looking at it as a World War II allegory, does that mean he did it wrong? Does that mean we don't get it? Because I don't remember any interviews with George Lucas where he's sitting there trying to put down the audience for not understanding what he was trying to do. And I don't, I, don't, I don't remember any interviews with Francis Ford Coppola talking about Apocalypse Now saying, if you don't like my politics, don't watch my movie. That kind of thing didn't happen back then, and it shouldn't happen now. 
Kelly Sue DeConnick is wrong when she says, if you don't like my politics, don't buy my book. But she is just one, and she is symptomatic of an overall mentality among creatives in the entertainment industry, whether it's comic books or film or TV, movies, wherever, this, this idea that if your politics are wrong, we don't want you as part of our audience is absolutely stupid and arrogant. Yes, Mazer's Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket was what, 84, 88, something like that. Yeah, it was. I think it was mid-80s. But yeah, that was another one that was... But I think that one was probably a little bit more critical of what happened in Vietnam because we were further out. I mean, you look at Rambo, uh, First Blood, for example, is one of the other ones that was talking about uh, what happened... Um, what happened in Vietnam to, to our veterans. And you're right. Yeah. You, I don't think you could make, well, you could make full metal jacket today, but only if the United States is the bad guy, I think. Books that came out in 1979, the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy, the never ending story, the dead zone flowers in the attic, there's some good books that came out in 1979. The Great Dune Trilogy, The Right Stuff from Tom Wolfe, Executioner's Song, Smiley's People, John Lacar, The Fountains of Paradise by Arthur C. Clarke, Dragon Drums from Anne McCarthy, part of the Dragon Riders of Pern stories. The Ring World Engineers or Larry Niven. How many of these books would have been published then using today's standards and practices? How many of those books would survive? Because how many books are now coming under fire for having the wrong sentiments, the wrong approach, the wrong viewpoint. And then we have things like the Gina Carano situation. And we have Coca-Cola doing their try-to-be-less-white training. And we have Gillette lecturing us about toxic masculinity. We don't need that. You're selling fizzy water and razor blades. Shut up and sell me fizzy water and razor blades. And tell me why I should buy your fizzy water and razor blades because they're better than the other guy's fizzy water and razor blades. What do I get out of your fizzy water and razor blades that I don't get out of the other fizzy water and razor blades? I don't care about anything else. Coca-Cola. Gillette. And now this latest PR scandal for Disney with their reimagined tomorrow critical race theory training 
And some people sitting there and Disney comes out, says, oh, it's a misrepresentation and lies and deceit and distortions and whatnot. I'll give you some full disclosure here. Most of you know that I am a freelance media person, which means my day job, quote unquote, involves going out and being on the crews of various different productions, whether it's my own for a client or if it's somebody else. And a lot of times I will get picked up on the crew as a local hire for network television in regards to sporting events. We've talked about how uh, when this pandemic first happened and the lockdown happened, we were right in the midst of ESPN coverage of the Big 12 tournament last year. This year, we managed to actually have a Big 12 tournament. But given the, the, the opportunities that I've had to work on the crew of ESPN, I am considered by the HR department of the Walt Disney Company, I am considered to be an employee of the Walt Disney Company. Technically, I'm not because the Walt Disney Company is not paying my paycheck. I'm hired through a third party. But I do get emails that are sent to employees of the Walt Disney Company. And I am familiar with this Reimagining Tomorrow program. I have seen some of the notes and some of the messaging to promote the various different workshops and the diversity meetings and the Zoom sessions and the training and the webinars, how we can all do better when it comes to race and whiteness. I've seen some of this myself firsthand. Now, I have not had time to go through Christopher Rufo's very extensive article documenting all of this, and he does document with the document dump at the end of the article. So you can see it for yourself, which is what reporters are supposed to do. We present facts. And you decide what you're going to believe or not believe and do or not do, choose to uh, do business with or not. That's what reporters do. Now, I've gotten in here before and I've talked about the differences between reporters and journalists and what my thinking is behind those two definitions. I think reporters care about the facts a little bit more than journalists do. Journalists, a highfalutin word, for people who want to change the world, and that involves feelings. When I was in junior high, we did book reports. Reports about a book. Here's what the book is about. And the last couple of paragraphs might involve what I think about the book. But for the most part, the book report is about the book. The year following, my sister was in those same classes and they started doing journals. And the journals are like diaries. Tell us how you feel about certain things. And I had my little aha moment a long time ago. 
that you can make that same distinction between book reports and journalists and book reports and journals. That you can make that same distinction between reporters and journalists because journalists involve a whole lot more on the emotional side of things, a lot more than they probably should. Reporter is an old-fashioned word. But I would much rather get my news from somebody who says, I'm a reporter, rather than someone who says, I'm a journalist. Now, Christopher Rufo has these very long articles about the critical race training inside Disney. And we have uh, a, a follow-up, and apparently that program has been either shut down or at least the documentation has been deleted or there's, there's, there are steps being taken inside Disney to back away from that. Coca-Cola did the same thing after the backlash against the try-to-be-less-white garbage. And Disney, of course, reorganizing under Bob Chapek, and there are some ill ill will and, and hurt feelings there. We'll, we'll probably get into some of this uh, tonight on the Ranker Pit, which is going to be at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central, here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Let's uh, see here. Um, Mazur says, advertising revenue ironically does directly impact wokeness today. Stephanie says, uh, R. Lee Ermey from, from Full Metal Jacket was awesome. A wonderful guy. Let's see here. Um, uh, Joachim Stark, uh, yeah, I think you could probably make that uh, make that assumption about uh, First Blood, at least in a certain way, uh, a certain way of looking at that movie, uh, a comment about small town, uh, small town police. But you could you could make that about any. I mean, small towns historically are not uh, are. In the media, the the small town is not portrayed as the pers- uh, of the place that's friendly what to strangers, and that's a foundation for a number of different kinds of stories. Whether that's suspense stories or mysteries or horror stories, you have the stranger that comes into town and nobody knows anything about him, and who can he be trusted? So there is a little bit of that as well, I think. Mazur says, I still want to know how on earth these companies think they'll actually get away with doing this internally without being noticed. They, they won't. It is being noticed, and it is being reported. You have James Damore over at Google getting fired because he sits here and says, hey, maybe women aren't getting involved because they're not interested in programming and coding and writing, writing HTML. Maybe we need to look at how we approach things in order to make it more interesting for them. And how dare he say something so sexist? Oh, Stephanie says there's a Disney investor call today? Really? Ah, well, hmm. It's good that we're having a ranker pit tonight then. 
we will have to uh, we will have to dig down in on that and see. All right, so I am curious about something, Mrs. Boss. Do you have the show up over on your monitor over there? Does it tell you? Does it give you an indication of how many people are watching? It says nine. Okay, so my computer in the control room here says nine. My mobile device says two. YouTube is not to be trusted, ladies and gentlemen. I I know we I know we know that already. It's not a surprise. But this Disney thing goes beyond just the critical race theory thing. When you look at all of the things dealing with China, I mean, shooting Mulan near concentration camps, reducing John Boyega's presence on the marketing for Star Wars. You've got people floating the idea of Bob Iger being an ambassador to China. And now we find out that China could very well decide that, that Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Ten, and the, and the, the Ten Rings may not even play in China. Or the Eternals. So all of this work, all of this kowtowing and bowing and scraping and kissing up to China and the communist regime of China might not be productive after all. It may all be for naught. And wouldn't that just be a lark? if Disney got a little bit of comeuppance on this stuff. But it's not just Disney. I mean, you look at the thing that's going on with J. Scott Campbell over the last week. How somebody fixed his Mary Jane cover on, you know, that variant cover that he did 10 years ago. Now, he turned it into a positive. What? No, I didn't see the gorilla. Don't stop me, woman. I'm on a roll. I, uh, I have not seen the girl. But J. Scott Campbell turns it into a conversation about what's, what's respectful when it comes to redrawing art or doing homages or reinventions or reinterpretations and what's not respectful. And there were a few hiccups and bumps. However, he's decided he's actually turned this in, and, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give him his props because he turned it into a really uh, a really good thing. So, for those of you who are not familiar, J. J. Scott Campbell is a comic book illustrator. He's been in the business for a very long time. He's very popular. He has a very distinct style of drawing people and and things. And this style, when it comes to the female form, is very distinct. And he got called out over a, a particular piece of artwork that he did 10 years ago for a cover of, of Spider-Man comic book. And this, uh, this young kid decided to fix J. Scott Campbell's art and did it in a way that Campbell took umbrage to. He said, you know what? This is not really all that respectful of a thing. But let's take your fix and let's use this as a teaching moment. And he critiqued the fix. 
And he showed the different places where the fix could have been improved. And so then J. Scott Campbell drew his own fix of the fix. Okay, we're going to, you know, let's give her a little bit more of a realistic figure. Let's, let's take some of the things in this, in this fix and let's incorporate them into a new piece of artwork just to illustrate the differences. And so uh, Mr. Campbell then turned around and took that sketch and put it up for auction to raise money for charity. And raised almost $15,000 with it. So good on him. It turns it into a net positive. And then he turns around and he says, you know, I've been thinking about this whole redrawing thing. Let's, let's give you some, some guidelines on when it's appropriate and when it's not. And so he throws up another cover, a black cat cover, and says, show me your interpretation of this cover. He puts a challenge out there. Redraw the black cat cover. And he features a number of different ones that he likes, and he makes some comments on it, and it turns it into a, a conversation about art and style and composition and technique. And it's a learning experience. And that is so much better than... How dare you critique me? How dare you criticize my work? If you don't like my politics, don't buy my book. It's about respect. It's about control. Because sometimes the creator does not have control over the interpretation of the creation. And it is not yours to get offended if somebody misinterprets what you did, what you created. It's out there in the world. It's now a transaction between the creator and the audience. And the product changes meaning with the people who perceive it. Mazur's quotes Padme, you know, mentors have a way of finding more than our faults than we'd like. It's the only way we grow. Yeah. And it's a conversation that I've had with my son. I am not here to be my son's friend. I am here to prepare my son to go out on his own and take care of himself and be his own person. And in certain circumstances, I have life experiences that have helped me prepare him. But he's got to listen. When we're young, we're full of juice and we know it all. And as we get older, we learn that there are things that we don't know. But it's good to see this pushback. It's good to see indie creators taking ownership of their work. Well, I'm not going to go work for corporate Marvel in DC. I'm going to go make my own book. I'm going to go make my own films. I'm going to create my own TV show. I'm going to make my own channel. 
as we've done, as a number of people have done, because it's not enough to simply consume what the mainstream entertainment complex would have us consume. I was watching Michael Bancroft's stream the other night, and he says, I hardly ever watch TV anymore. YouTube is my TV now. He's watching various different streamers, YouTubers, who are doing their programs. He says, that's my TV now. And I'm sure he's not the only one. It is well past time we push back against the cancel cult. Now, here, this, you know, this rant being what it was, what it is, we still here make every effort to focus on our niche. Science fiction, fantasy, horror. Now, on days like this, when the pop culture kind of spills over and the real world spills over and there are connections to the things what we focus on, then there's opportunity to talk about it. And I it is no it is it is no secret how I feel about certain things. I am a conservative. I make no apologies about that. And and there is a place and a time for stories that don't necessarily entertain us. 1984, Animal Farm. I would not say that those are entertaining stories. They are necessary stories. They don't entertain. There are more warnings. There is a place for messages and there's a place for it to be overt, but that's not entertainment. It's propaganda. Whether it's anti-capitalist, anti-socialist, pro-communist, pro-this, pro-that, anti-this, anti-that, whatever the propaganda is, if it's got a message, it's not entertainment. Now, if the message is subtle, if it's in the subtext, and the priority is to entertain... There's a difference. Escapism is necessary. It reminds me of this quote from Captain James Kirk in the Shoreleave episode of the original Star Trek. He says, The greater the mind, the greater the need for simplicity of play. We need our escapes. We need our stories that we can get lost in for a couple of hours a day to decompress and lose ourselves and not be so stressed and worried and paranoid about everything going on in life. This last year and a half, I have found myself thinking thoughts and making preparations and thinking about different things that I can do because I feel it's necessary to protect my home and family. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I in this mindset where it is so easy to contemplate doing harm to a fellow man? Because that's where we are. <clears throat> and I don't want to be there. I want to enjoy Star Wars. 
I want to enjoy Star Trek, Doctor Who, Marvel, DC, Battlestar Galactica, Flash Gordon, He-Man, She-Ra if I want. I want to enjoy Jam and the Holograms and not worry if it's giving me some kind of propaganda. Ren and Stimpy, Dungeons and Dragons. Give me Star Blazers and Battle of the Planets. And let me have those conversations with my friends without having to bite my tongue because certain people are so thin-skinned that they get upset over the littlest of things. Now, most of my friends are not that thin-skinned. But when you have friends who joke about people like me needing to go on hunting trips with Dick Cheney, I take offense to that. I don't like the idea, the possibility. And I could be paranoid, but I don't think I am. But I don't like the possibility that somebody I call friend might be secretly thinking that I'm a Nazi. Or I'm a bigot. Or uneducated. Or some unenlightened heathen. Somebody who needs to be re-educated in the culture of the day. You don't have a right to look down on me and pat me on the head like the red-headed stepchild and go tell me to go play in the corner and mind my own business. It is arrogant presumption to think that you're right all the time and act like anyone who disagrees with you should just shut up and take their cues from their cultural betters. There are people like that in all walks of life, and I'm sure that all of us have those people that we have to deal with who are like that. And it shouldn't be that way. And if you are a creator of entertainment, you especially have a responsibility to be respectful to the people who pay for the things you make. They're called customers. And in business, the customer is a critical component in the success of your business. How to Win Friends and Influence People, 2021 edition. Let them like what they like. And let them not like what they don't like. The Snyder Cut, The Last Jedi, these should not be litmus tests for friendships. Anyone who thinks that way, I say, is weak. Being woke is being weak. Otherwise, you'd be able to engage in debates and have differences of opinion without having pissy fits. We have got to get over ourselves and I'm, I'm looking at both sides of the argument. Both sides of this. People are behaving in such a deplorable manner towards other people who don't agree with them. And it's time it stopped. 
Now, is there anything I can do about it? Rant about it on YouTube? Do I have any influence? Probably not. Do I have people that will probably decide, well, I'm done with this channel? Maybe. Hopefully not. I still contend that anybody that comes here can come with your perceptions and your preconceived notions and you can agree or disagree and you can still be welcome here because that's respecting the audience and appreciating the people who are in the seats. It's just like Charlie Daniels says. You don't think about the seats that are empty because those people didn't bother to show up to see what you're about. The people who show up are the people that count. The people that show up here every day, any day, who spend their time listening to me rant or interview guests or sit and hear us talk amongst ourselves about Star Wars or Doctor Who. We give, deliver the news every week. Those of you who continue to come back, I appreciate each and every one of you. Every single day, you make this worth it. I'm not making any money off of this. I'm very, very, very aware of the fact that I'm not making any money off of this. But that's okay. I don't have to make money off of this. The satisfaction comes from delivering something of value. And you determine the value. If there is something that we're not doing, and if people don't respond to what we're doing, we have to make adjustments. And you're the ones who tell us. We're glad you're here. And if you're new, we're especially glad you're here. You keep coming back, we're glad you're back. And I don't care who you voted for. I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care what kind of job you have or don't have. We have things in common and then we have things that are not in common. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations, right? All of you, whether you're watching on YouTube or Odyssey or Facebook, if you're listening to this as a podcast, all of you who are here deserve my respect. And you'll get it to the best of my ability. Because there are things worth discussing because we enjoy them. Because we want to have fun. Because we want to be entertained. And that's important. And different things entertain us in different ways, and that's fine. Nobody's got to be entertained the exact same way. 
But that's what makes the conversation so interesting because of those differences in perspective. Why you like something is just as important as what you like or don't like. Mazur says he wants all the clutter behind us in the studio. Uh, Some of the clutter needs to be cleaned up a little bit. I don't know. We've got a few things that... Uh, I need to find I need to find some some new placement for for some of the stuff. I need to figure out where I'm going to put this bat phone. Um, we've got ideas, you know, and we've got ideas for new shows or bringing old shows back. We just need the manpower. And as long as you keep coming back, we'll keep doing this in some way, shape, or form. And hopefully it'll be more conversations with guests rather than me just spitting nails for an hour. So at at the very least, even if it's just me, hopefully you come away from these rants with something to think about. There has to be something of value in what we do here for you to keep coming back. And we do our best. All right, that's going to do it for us. We'll close out. Reminder of tonight, we've got the Ranker Pit talking about the latest Star Wars news, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. And then this weekend, uh, we will have a brand new Foreign Bodies on Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Of course, Saturday morning, we'll have Good Morning Multiverse. Coming up next week on this program, we'll have an interview a um, couple of different people on went on Thursday. Oh, where's the book? On Thursday, we will have the author of the book Catch Forty Two, Felix Holsopfel, will be here on Thursday, and on Wednesday, we'll have a little fun. Wednesday, Katie Nicolau will be here. She is a meteorologist. You may have caught her forecast that she did in a Starfleet uniform, but she's done other forecasts in cosplay. So we're going to talk to her about that next Wednesday. And Monday and Tuesday, we don't have guests yet. If you've got suggestions for people to invite onto the show, let us know. Send us an email, live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. Or you can leave a comment. If you are listening to this as a podcast, we do ask that you rate and review. It does help with the algorithm with uh, algorithm and discovery so other people can find the show. And you are always welcome to share the link to this or any other shows uh, so uh, we can have other people that show up and we can share time with. So that's going to do it for us today. Remember, folks, there are four lights. Have a good afternoon. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 